Hello, Rebels. You're listening to a free audio-only recording of my show, Rebel Roundup. Now, if you like listening to this podcast, then you would love watching it. But in order to watch, you need to be a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. That's what we call our long-format TV-style shows here on The Rebel. Subscribers get access to watching my weekly show, as well as other great TV-style shows, too. It's only $8 a month to subscribe, or you can subscribe annually and get two months free. And just for podcast listeners, you can also save an extra 10% on a new premium membership by using the coupon code PODCAST when you subscribe. Just go to rebelnewsplus.com to become a member. And please leave a five-star review on this podcast and subscribe in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Those reviews are a great way to support Rebel News without spending a dime. And now, enjoy this free audio-only version of my show. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, ladies and gentlemen, and the rest of you, in which we take a look back at some of the very best commentaries from your favorite Rebels from this past week. I'm your guest host, Sheila Gunn-Reed, and I'm filling in for my very dear friend, David Menzies, as he takes a well-deserved break away from the show. But don't worry, friends. Do not worry. He'll be back very, very soon. We all miss him as much as you do. Trust me on that. Now, it's hard enough to find the person that you want to spend the rest of your life with, and parent your children beside. You've got to have some shared values. And even if you don't necessarily share every single opinion, you have to be able to tolerate the other person's differences of opinions, right? But dating apps today, they're weeding out conservatives before they ever get a chance to impress a potential mate with their chiseled good looks and strong work ethic. Dating apps have gone woke and pro-vaccine. And so what's a young, single, freedom-minded individual supposed to do with that mess when meeting in person is taboo now. Lewis Brackpool joins us with that story. Then hospitals are overwhelmed, or so we're told, and so we all have to stay home, cancel our lives, and get an injection that we don't want to protect the healthcare system. But what if you're a nurse who doesn't want that jab because you have natural immunity, because you caught COVID working hard early in the pandemic? So now you don't think it's worth the health risk to take a vaccine that the data is now showing has a bit of an expiration date and offers little to no protection against the latest strain of the coronavirus. Normally, you go to your union, but so often the unions have been turning away grievances. But not this time. Tamara Ugolini has this story. Then letters, letters, letters. Oh boy, we get your letters all the time. Emails, comments, Facebook messages, we get them all. And we'll go through some of those at the end of the show. Now, those are your rebels. Let's round them up. You can go onto a dating app and meet potentially the love of your life through your phone. But there is something to be said about these dating apps and how they're not all as inclusive as you may think. The COVID safety, the COVID 
comfort zone. What is your preference? Virtual only, mask and distancing, social distancing, mask up, or no mask and social distancing. Here's the thing that people have been noticing about this app, however. It is very geared towards the psyoped minds of this COVID stuff, where they display ads in between you swiping, where one of them encourages you to have your first date on video chat, so you don't meet in the conventional way of meeting up. And another one says, be a hero, wear a mask. They have profile stickers where you can put things such as getting vaxxed soon, vaccines save lives, immunity together, and display that you are vaccinated. I think it's got to be tough out there for a young conservative trying to find a mate in a society that has digitized normal courtship. If normal courtship is really even a thing anymore, I know I'm going to sound like a total prude, but in a world that has completely enabled and justified hedonistic behavior through hookup apps, I bet finding a compatible partner with shared values is nearly impossible these days. Especially when, as a conservative, even the dating apps are skewed to make it seem like the concepts of personal responsibility and medical privacy are somehow extreme. Joining me now to discuss his report on the wokeness of dating apps is UK-based rebel reporter Lewis Brackpool. Lewis, I guess my first question is, how on earth can a young conservative find love these days? <laughs> well... It's certainly not through a dating app from what I've found. Um, yeah, it's a difficult one. I mean, as we know, with the pandemic hitting, it's been very, very difficult to go out and meet people or your compatible mate. And with that being said, it's quite difficult to find, of course, someone with the same type of values as you. Now, these dating apps have made it so difficult um, for a conservative or someone on the right to, of course, match up with someone. And you've got to go through all the process of chatting and and saying, look, uh, these are my views, X, Y and Z. Are they controversial or not? And most of the time when you match someone on these um, these apps, they've kind of laid the basis out to, to what they're going to be like. So it has made it a bit more um, polarized and they've added things such as stickers and badges and interests to show you how uh, how woke they, they are. So. Yeah, I, I don't really have an answer for conservatives um, who want to try out online dating. Just it's a little bit of a minefield, if I'm totally honest. Yeah, and I, I think you're right to point out that um, the conventional ways where people used to meet other people, those are kind of illegal these days. Uh, um, you know, you, you can't go to a bar, have a few drinks and, you know, make yourself a little bit more interesting through wit and charm and moxie. Um, you are pre-screened by these woke apps. And it, I think it presupposes that people are intolerant of each other because you're immediately sort of canceled out based on your politics. When I know a lot of couples where the wife votes one way and the husband votes another way, and they're perfectly fine. It's just not something that they talk about. But now it's like people's brains are being trained that this is something that we just can't overcome. Yeah, absolutely. I think with these dating apps, it's almost quite vacuous in a way because you're staring at a screen, you're looking at how they look like. And 
you see their politics just pop up immediately. I mean, you, you can choose whether you have that on your profile or not. And, you know, fair play if you don't have it or have it on. Um, but I think what's important is shared values. I think that's the main sort of takeaway from it. And if you're staring at a screen um, trying to figure out someone's values from it, A, it can be misread. You know, they, they could they could be a supporter of a group that you may not agree with, but they actually have the same shared values of maybe free speech or something else. It's difficult to say. But the problem is we're, it's so easy for us to, to look at someone and go, no, I'm not matching with this person because of X, Y and Z especially against conservatives because they see the word conservative they think you hate immigrants or they think you hate you know some form of person or you know based on whatever if you, you hate trans people you hate you know all sorts of people that's that's sort of been the message that people have started drilling um into into others because they see the word conservative and they think it, you're up to some malicious intent which is complete uh, baloney and yeah, it, it's a minefield. It's an absolute minefield. So, I mean, what can I say? You can pay, I guess, for these apps now where if you want to match up with a preferred type of values, you can. Uh, from what I was looking on the app Hinge, you can do that. I'm not sure about the others. But, um, yeah, I mean, why, why would you want to give your money away to, to these companies who are already setting you up to fail? Now, there's something else happening in all of this that's sort of new. I mean, hookup apps, they're not all that new, but they've sort of injected the vaccine debate into dating now, as though dating as a young, uh, free speech-minded, leave-me-alone-style conservative isn't hard enough um, because of all these m misconceptions about you and the kind of person that conservatives might be in the media, as you point out. But now they've injected vaccination status into the middle of all this why do you think they're doing that <laughs> i think it's now a training a training ground for who can be the most virtuous and who can add um who can who can show off how woke they are now i think that's uh, that's sort of the main takeaway from i get i mean you get for example tinder if you watch the report you can see you could put stickers on your profile to show whether you've been vaccinated and uh, things like um, oh, vaccines vaccines work and, and and all this stuff it's just it's it's a way to show that you are now better than other people and that's kind of the message that's been that's been pushing we've also seen ads as well if you if you watch the report there's ads where they say things like be a hero wear a mask um, it's sort of ridiculous rhetoric that is a way to sort of make people go, oh, do you know what? Like, I should be a hero. I should wear a mask and things like that. When we kn we know the answer to that, we don't really need to go into that. But yeah, I think it's it's almost like training grounds for for indoctrination. Almost, I see it. I mean, that sounds pretty radical to a lot of people, but with all the advertisements, with all the types of stickers, with putting Black Lives Matter everywhere, empathy and has to be all LGBT ally everything uh, in your interests, which I didn't realize that that was an interest. Um, <laughs> it's just activism. I am not interested in other people's uh, sexual preferences whatsoever, but okay. <laughs> yeah, like it's, it's just, it's a strange manipulative virtual world to try and make yourself look the most virtuous. And it's just, it's just an odd, odd world. I mean, personally, after doing all that, I 
I kept Hinge. I deleted everything else, and I had a little look. Um, I must admit, um, but I understand why people get so put off by it because it, it's it's literally just a dumping ground of virtue, and and I I just yeah I I totally understand it. But at the same time, <laughs> people now don't want to meet the conventional way anymore. So it's kind of that strange sort of middle ground of of wanting to find a mate and um and hoping it lands lands your way. Yeah, it's almost like the pandemic where you're doing more of the things that didn't work, but more ambitiously and quicker in that, you know, we've sort of seen um, relationships, long-term relationships are, they seem to be less frequent these days. Marriages don't last. And I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, this, dating apps and the ease by which you can meet other people and discard the person you're with. And instead of stepping back and saying, maybe that's why this is happening to society, people are like, you know what, we need a new dating app, a better dating app, instead of just going out there and talking to people face to face. I wanted to, as you were talking about the stickers and the badges that you can put on your profile, I wanted to ask you, are there badges for like, because you said, oh, I'm vaccinated or wear a mask or be a hero, wear a mask. Are there ones to indicate that perhaps you are STD free? You know, like real health issues? <laughs> real health issues. Yeah, indeed. Um, no, no, there isn't. Um, I think you have to download That's a weird. completely different app for that. <laughs> but there is uh, there is resources um, which you obviously have to have to troll through on the, on the app. Uh, for example, Tinder, they have resources to some sort of um, company called Sexwise where you can get free consultations on STI, STD, unwanted pregnancies, things like that. So I think they've got it all covered in that sort of direction. But you have to really, really troll through that. And it's funny. It's funny, um, all this, because it sort of shows what sort of app it is, really, if, if you've got all of that mm -hmm. lined up, ready and waiting. Um, so and I think to, to add as well, because it's on an app, because we know uh, social media is very, very toxic in, in its own way, because we're not face to face with someone, we wouldn't have that same interaction we would do through a phone to face to face. And I think that's what's extremely important, that when we go onto a profile and you say, oh, he's conservative, he's, he's I don't know, anti-mass immigration, he's whatever, you wouldn't be putting this in your profile, obviously. But right. if you just see conservative... Um, your immediate reaction is is different to, to what you would be in real life because you not, might not necessarily know that someone um, is, is that way inclined politically. So it's funny how we can easily hide behind a screen and, uh, and um, they can make these comments about Tory hating and, and things like that when you just don't know your share values. And I think that's the biggest take from it. Yeah, if... If there's anything we should have learned from the pandemic is that when you go to these protests, there are a lot of people there who normally would not agree with each other on very much, but they are all there marching for freedom and for medical privacy. So, yeah, it's true. You know, once you have that little label on on who you are in the app, people are just skipping past you without actually getting to know you as a person. Uh, Lewis, uh, thanks for joining me today. And every time that I am considering thinking that maybe whatever is in front of me is worth fighting with my husband about. I'm going to whip out your video and watch it and remind myself that um, being single <laughs> this day and age is absolutely no fun. Lewis, thanks so much. 
No problem. Thank you very much. Cheers. Show us the data. Show us the evidence. Show us the process with, you know, what what policies and what outcomes you have proven to dictate these extraordinary, unethical, unjustified, unscientific measures that you have implemented. They cited several parts of that collective agreement, of course, and um, one specific thing was that they they must negotiate with not only the individual members but with the union itself before they make any forced, you know, interventions on our behalf, um, specifically when it comes down to injection. I am bringing you the story of a registered nurse whose union is actually backing her in a grievance against her former employer. In many instances, I hear from terminated employees whose unions have utterly failed them in the face of indiscriminate mandates that hail themselves as upholding the highest standards of health and safety, and yet basic questions and requests for justification never seem to be attainable. In this instance, the nurse that I'm interviewing has jumped through all of the hoops that the employer wanted her to do to claim a religious and ethical exemption against that indiscriminate get injected or be terminated mandate. She even asked for further data and clarification and information to help make an informed choice, which appears to have fallen once again on deaf ears. But her union took her concerns seriously and is grieving on her behalf. You provided a 20 plus page essay, essentially, and I read through it. It's it's very well sourced. And obviously, a lot of time and effort went into this essay that accompanied your, uh, your, your seeking an exemption. And what was the basis of your exemption, uh, your claim for an exemption? And then do you think that anyone even took the time to read that essay that you took so much time to write? Um, so I'll actually start with the latter half of that question first, if that's okay. I do not believe that they actually read my essay because um, had they, I think a, an agency of that magnitude would have taken into account some of the very serious concerns that I address, not only with regards to legality, but also with some of the ethical considerations around the response and the harm that we as an agency were all aware of, you know, specifically regarding our seniors and what, what the consequences were. So the basis of my exemption was, of course, a legitimate medical background that I have, um, but I was not allowed to bring that forth or had no medical professional who would back me in that because, well, as we all know, the government has scripted um, appropriate exemptions. So somehow they, they became experts in individual health expertise, but nonetheless, so that was one. But the other uh, big part of my religious exemption was under human rights ground human rights grounds rather, um, so discrimination was a big one. But I also began with providing very well-documented evidence, so evidence-informed decision-making. So I brought forth uh, the Healthcare Consent Act of Canada, my inability as an individual to provide informed consent or voluntary consent based on the simple fact that the evidence is lacking. So and I, what I did there was I also went further and brought forth evidence from the product monographs, from CDC, 
you know, from relevant um, sources such as the WHO to, to basically outline, hey, here's what information I need and here's why it's lacking and here's who tells me it's lacking, right? Um, that wasn't enough. Politicians would have us believe that we are in a deadly pandemic, so deadly that we need to sacrifice our civil liberties and treat a substantial portion of innocent, otherwise law-abiding Canadian citizens as though they are dangerous criminals or disease vectors. These people are not allowed to dine indoors, use recreation facilities, or watch their kids play sports. And with a pandemic so deadly, surely you would need all hands on deck in the healthcare system. However, otherwise healthy, albeit unvaccinated, healthcare workers are being fired all over the place. It's causing staffing shortages, fatigue, and cancelled treatments for patients. It's become such a problem that COVID-positive yet vaccinated healthcare workers have been called back to work, while unvaccinated but COVID-negative, perfectly healthy healthcare workers remain the new lepers in society. And unions, which I'm told exist to protect the rights of the workers, well, they've been largely asleep at the switch, siding so often with the employer against the fundamental rights of the union dues-paying membership. That's why it's rare when you hear about a healthcare union taking on a grievance on behalf of a fired, unvaccinated nurse. Tamara Ugolini joins me now with the full story. Tamara, I guess my first question is, after seeing so many of these grievances be denied, why is the union taking this one up now? Is it because of where she works, as in not necessarily in a hospital, but in a, a sort of a publicly adjacent facility, kind of a private facility? What's the deal here? Mm -hmm. Well, it's a great question because as we've seen all throughout the COVID pandemic is the, the arbitrary enforcement of measures and decision making uh, that's happened all throughout that it leaves you not really able to logically follow the train of thought in, in terms of who gets honored and, and who doesn't. Um, in this particular instance, I think that the nurse is just a powerhouse. I think that she has this amazingly well-sourced essay that she'd written, um, uh, that she provided to, to her union, and sourced a lot of really good, strong legal points in terms of the Healthcare Consent Act. And I think we posted a link to, in my full uh, report to the essay that she wrote, of course, leaving out any of her identifiable features. And so I would urge people to go and read that. and and be able to maybe lean into and recognize where the advocacy work might be working in your favor and where, you know, like these notices of liability, and I know we've touched on that many times before, may, might actually hinder your potential to do some real advocacy work on the part of your yourself. And so that's all I, the only thing I can think of that makes sense here is that this woman has just been such a powerhouse and such a good, strong advocate and sourcing some really well thought out points that it's hard to ignore. Yeah, I think she really left her union with no choice because she did so much of the legwork on her own. Um, and again, a 20 page essay where she notes that she has robust natural immunity. And she still takes necessary precautions to mitigate infection risk. Uh, she has no problem um, wearing PPE or getting tested routinely because we know the vaccinated and the unvaccinated can both spread corona. So she's actually following the science. But I think she really just by sheer pressure and will, she left her own union no choice but to take up her cause. 
Well, and that's a great point too that you make with the PPE and the testing is that the this reasonable alternatives being offered to employees, it can't, it's not ethical or just to impose this vaccinate or be terminated. Like there needs to be some middle ground here. It's not such a black and white situation, even though it has been throughout the the pandemic and especially since the vaccine rollout. But what I think is is a key takeaway here is that there needs to be some of that gray area finessed and met that, you know, not everyone's just going to going to be satisfied with either being vaccinated or being terminated, that anyone who's willing and able to to take reasonable precautions and if if the PPE works, well, then why is that not good enough? If that's an actual preventative barrier in place to protect the vulnerable, who this particular nurse has been in close contact for two and a half years and probably where she got her obtained her natural immunity, then if the PPE works so well and we're trusting the science on that, why isn't that good enough? Especially as we see in real time as the data comes out that, like you said, the vaccinated and the unvaccinated are able to carry similar viral loads, carry and transmit the virus. So I think that having this conception that the vaccine is, it's this false sense of security. And, um, and I think, again, just being able to be a strong advocate, stand by your convictions, source things that are evidence-based, and then also to ask questions that are reasonable. And if you're not getting the answers that you are looking for, then that's cause for concern as well, both for the union and the employee, because how do you continue with your employment in good faith if your request for clarification and for more information is being ignored? Yeah, I, th- I think you make a great point that there is really no longer a justification for vaccine mandates. There there never was as far as a civil liberties perspective. But for the pro-locker downers and the pro-forced vaccinators, with the rise of the Omicron variant, which is completely escaping the vaccines, uh, the vaccines, uh, most studies coming out say they really provide little to no uh, protection against the Omicron variant, I think the employers and the governments are running out of time um, with their vaccine mandates, that they can no longer justify imposing them on normal people. What are your predictions for the future going forward? Well, it's so tough to say because every time that I think that things are starting to become more rational and logical and I'm like, yes, we can see maybe the light at the end of this tunnel here that we will get out of this catastrophic disaster the noose tightens once again. And so I don't know. I mean, I ho- I do see a shift happening with a lot of people who, you know, they complied, they did their part, they did everything that was asked of them. And now they're still back at square one, which is here in Ontario, at least lockdown, firing, school closures. And so I think that has prompted a lot of people to say, hold on a minute here. Are we really trusting the science? And if we are trusting the science, well, do we not believe that our vaccines worked and we're protected? Is this, um, you know, like what happens every year with the flu and why there's a new flu vaccine every year that it tailors and it mutates and there's a new strain? And are we signing up for that variant vaccine treadmill just continually every year? I think a lot more people are starting to question now just what's going on and maybe it's prompted them to start to do a little bit more of their own homework and see what other information is out there that they're not necessarily hearing on the television. Yeah, I think there's a lot of buyer's remorse. There are a lot of people who 
didn't really care about civil liberties. They didn't really care about whether or not their friends and neighbors were being discriminated against. Judge their character how you will for that sort of behavior. But there are a lot of people who who said, okay, fine. I'll go along with the lockdowns. I will be perfectly fine when my children's school is canceled, their sports are canceled. I'll make them wear a mask. Um, I'll get my vaccination. I'll get my second vaccination. I'll get my third vaccination. But they still ended up with Omicron and everything's still locked down. And those people, I think, are getting a little bit mugged by reality. And while I never rely on politicians to do the right thing, I think they do respond to public opinion polling because they are not really uh, principled people. They just go whatever way the public trends go. And I think the public trend, as you say, might be going in the direction of, hang on a minute, <laughs> none of this stuff is working. Um, I'm not sure, though. Well, and that's the pendulum. The pendulum will always swing either way. And so it's just a matter of time before that pendulum comes back now and starts to swing the other way. And I'm so thankful uh, for the internet in that regard, because there are so many instances where there were so many brave individuals at the onset of the pandemic that were speaking out early on April, May 2020, saying, you know, this isn't evidence based. We already after only a few months, we know who's at risk. Let's target our approach, make it more balanced. Let's get people who aren't at risk back to living normally. And those opinions and thoughts were completely disregarded under the guise of all things veiled as the science TM, as I like to call it. And uh, so that pendulum is now coming back the other way and it's swinging toward following the actual science and the data because we have real world stats and data coming out now that we didn't have two years ago. It's just really sad that it, it took this long for that shift to happen because it damaged in the meantime, so many obviously businesses, family, children, their psychological health, mental, emotional uh, repercussions of some of these measures that continue, especially here in Ontario, very heavily. Um, and so I, I just, I do agree that the polling is a big precursor to the politician's response. And I think that the media has played a huge role in shaping that public opinion and that is really, really concerning who they kind of handpick and choose who to feature and who not to feature in terms of these experts, quote unquote. The Nathan Stalls of the world. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's interesting that you could be canceled three months ago for saying the stuff that Fauci and, and many of our public health officials are saying now. All of us were saying all along, there's a difference between dying with and dying of COVID. But when you needed to pad the stats to make sure that Trump was a serial killer of grandparents, um, then you measured them all together. But now that Biden is, has more deaths on his watch than Trump, oh, wait, we need to break those numbers apart um, to help Joe Biden and, and politicians all across the world who are now uh, dealing with the reality of their bad decisions. Tamara, thank you so much for sticking with these stories and telling the stories of normal people who were hurt for standing up and doing the right thing. And um, I hope we never forget not only the sacrifices they made, but the things the politicians did to them when they tried to defend their own rights. I agree. Well, thanks, Sheila. And also for your work on all of the rebels work in, in this on this front. It's really been a pleasure being part of it.
yeah, it's been great to be able to advocate for the normals during all of this. Uh, the people that the mainstream media just wants to shut up, go away, behave and follow the rules. Well, we just won't. <laughs> Tamara, thanks so much. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Sheila. You as well. You remember a few weeks ago when David Suzuki said that uh, there could or would or should be violence against pipelines. He wasn't very clear. Initially, he held his ground, refused to uh, retract that. But I don't know where the pressure came from, whether it was from the David Suzuki Foundation, which for some reason is charitable status in Canada, or whether it was from the CBC. But he eventually realized that he had simply gone too far, this multimillionaire essentially giving his moral blessing to eco-terrorism. So he finally walked it back, but everyone got the message. Well, not so at the CBC, Trudeau's state broadcaster. In this great story on True North by Cosman Georgia, it's revealed by Cosman's digging that the CBC has just commissioned a, an anarchist who promotes violence including videos like one titled How to Paralyze a Country, Trudeau's CBC state broadcaster has hired an anarchist put, to put together such a movie. Well, friends, unlike the state broadcaster CBC, we do allow viewer feedback, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the weird. It's all there. So let's take a look back at some of it from this past week. On Ezra's monologue about CBC partnering with an anarchist to produce a documentary about the opposition to the coastal gas link pipeline using the hereditary chiefs of the Wet'suwet'en Band to disenfranchise the elected band council and the people who voted for the elected band council, Buker writes on Rumble, Suzuki is a CBC employee, right? What did he tell the world? Pipelines will start blowing up if we don't do what he says. Did the CBC fire him or denounce his threat? That means the CBC agrees. Well, I don't know if you know, but I do know a fair bit about David Suzuki because I did write an unauthorized biography of David Suzuki, and it was a national bestseller, but you wouldn't know that if you got all your news from the horrible mainstream media. And the latest Suzuki outburst should come as no surprise to people like myself who have paid close attention to his wild behavior both in public and in private. He's told us exactly who he is dozens if not hundreds of times, beginning from when he in his hippie trippy days compared humans to maggots. The CBC knows everything I know, and yet Suzuki was never fired or even scolded. Those people that are aligned with these Muslim countries and that are uh, advising our government is doing the same thing, advising them not to touch this subject. And it is the most shameful, most horror-filled event of this century. It is unquestionably the most... Uh, harsh and tragic uh, incident that is happening with the Uyghurs. And I know why it's happening, because East Turkmenistan is the way uh, from China to Pakistan, where they're building highways and reaching warm waters. So they don't want uh, the East Turkmenistanis or the Uyghurs to raise any objections to them building and passing through. So they've taken the whole province to task. 
And by the way, I don't know if a lot of viewers know this, that like Tibet, East Turkmenistan, where the Uyghurs live, is also being occupied by China. It was not originally a part of China. So it is the most heinous of crimes happening right now as we speak. And nobody, no Muslim country has ever raised this issue with China. They're all pals. They're all friends. So, and they're, they're all part of the, the Brotherhood Network. So nobody is, is even questioning them. Whereas if you slap a taxi driver Muslim in New York, all hell will break loose. But the whole entire population is being punished for something that they have not, they don't even know what they've done. They're being wiped out, and uh, the United Nations Human Rights Council, which prides itself on human rights abuse, has not taken this on as an issue. Why? Because the largest group there is the OIC, which is the Organization of Islamic Cooperation, a group of Arab Muslim countries, and they're not raising their voice. So. I mean, as Sohail said, you have something small happening to a Muslim in a Western country and all hell breaks loose. Yet there is a genocide taking place against these Chinese Muslims, but nobody cares. On my interview with Raheel Raza and her husband Sohail about why the Western world is silent on the Uyghur genocide in China, Galland 53 on Rumble writes, Canadians know that Trudeau has his most admired dictatorship as his top priority and anything else he claims he stands for is mere woke posturing. You know, you're probably right. When Trudeau said at his ladies' night fundraiser years ago that China was his most admired dictatorship, he wasn't joking. It wasn't off the cuff. He actually went on to justify and explain why he felt that way, that China had the ability to introduce drastic green measures into their economy if they wanted. Yeah, they're able to do that because they don't have to consider the will of the people because China's a dictatorship. That should have been our very first clue that Justin Trudeau never really actually cared about human rights or civil liberties. He won't shut up about the reproductive rights of women, which is code for abortion, but he's completely silent as Uyghur Muslim women are forcibly sterilized by the CCP. I actually don't even think that Justin Trudeau is all that sincere about the woke things he keeps talking about. He just wants to be hip and he wants to be liked by progressives, but also by China. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's wife, who reported what officials call mild flu-like symptoms Wednesday night, was in London to attend a wee day gathering with her daughter, Ella Grace, and her mother-in-law, Margaret Trudeau, on March 4th. The Prime Minister's office issued a statement late Thursday confirming she has COVID-19. Actor Idris Elba, pictured here with Sophie, also came down with a dose of the Rona after that Kielberger super spreader event. Now, just months after this, Trudeau's government handcrafted a sole source contract for the Kielbergers worth $43 million to administer a nearly $1 billion government student bailout program. Anyway, the Prime Minister's wife travels at the start of the pandemic and comes back with the COVID. Oh, you just know I wanted to know all there is to know about this. Now, let's get into it. Page one, Sophie wanted to stay at the Corinthia because that's where the celebrities stay. I wonder if Idris Elba stayed there. There are other suggestions of a hotel, but it was unacceptable since it didn't have the spa amenities. 
that Sophie requires. Trip organizers wanted Sophie to get the full diplomatic clearance treatment for the visit. But the government of Canada said no since it was a private visit for her to go to a WE event. Look at this. Program is being developed by the WE team. On my video about Madame Sophie Trudeau insisting on diplomatic clearance and a taxpayer-funded credit card for her trip to London in March 2020 to attend the WE Day Super Spreader event, wherein Sophie actually did come home with COVID-19, Ace Race on Rumble writes, Rules for thee and not for me is how the political elite live. How many times are they caught without masks and doing things that we are not allowed to? When will people open their eyes and see this sham for what it is? The CDC now says paper and cloth masks are nothing more than decoration. But how often did they demonize and shut down people on social media for saying these very comments? Open your eyes, people. Not only did they demonize and shut down people for saying this stuff on social media, people today are even still being issued tickets for not wearing useless paper and cloth masks that the CDC now says are ineffective because people were not actually punished for violating the science, as they say. They were being punished because they were not controllable by the state. They were being fined for the crime of being ungovernable. Well, friends, that's the show for tonight. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. I want to thank our team in the Toronto head office for putting together this little series of clips to produce a meaningful show for you all to watch. I want to thank my friend David for trusting me in the driver's seat these last few weeks. David will be back very, very soon. I want to thank everybody for their constant notes about how much they miss him and how concerned they are for him. Now... As David Menzies says, and I'm probably going to screw this one up somehow, but without risk, there can be no glory.